Hey, 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 welcome back to the More Jody podcast. Super excited to have you here today for a listen. Today we're talking to Dr. Shannon, who blows our minds once a month with all things medicine and natural health. Dr. Shannon on the podcast. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Dr. Shannon, welcome back to the More Jody podcast. How are you doing today? So good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so good. But first, before we start, I have a confession. I don't know how celery grows. And I pretended to know because you were like, can you believe some people don't know how celery grows? And I was like, no, that's atrocious. So now we've been chatting about it at work because only one of us knew how celery grows. So I think you should tell the listeners, how does celery grow? Yeah. So first of all, gold star for the work person who knew how celery grew. That's Um, true. She'll be excited for that. Yes. And, and secondly, maybe it was a little bit pretentious of me to imagine that and just laugh on my high and mighty horse that, that, uh, of course, it people is. must know how celery grows. Yeah. But basically it's, it's sort of just like you'd imagine. So the, the base of the, the celery that you see that's cut on the bottom is literally just where it meets the soil. Right. It's really but cool. then you said something about you have to like pile dirt onto it or was it, did you say something like to keep it supported? Cause it's so tall and lanky. So, um, often the celery will, it will be pretty good at supporting itself, but I think when they grow it, um, for selling crops, they'll sometimes tie that, tie it together just so that oh. it's like a tighter bunch to begin with. So like, we didn't do that when we grew our celery this year or last year. And then sometimes what people will do too, is you can, um, uh, you can also like wrap it in cardboard and then kind of have a, a string or like an elastic band around it. And that can also help with stability. And then that can also help it so that it's a little bit less green. Um, Cause of course with then less light, it's going to be converting less to chlorophyll because the, the green in it is very, very flavorful. So most people to eat garden celery would probably be surprised at how flavorful it was compared to grocery store celery. I like hate celery. Like, yeah. I don't care if it makes yeah, you skinny. Well, I just hate it. But... Probably not for you. Yeah. Or if I ate it at your house, if you moved to Vancouver Island and let me pick and steal out of your garden, I'll probably love it. So something to think about. Okay. Yeah. You just have to pretend to love it. That's right. Um, okay. So I have a quote for today. So today is all about gut health. And so a quote I found online about, I Googled like the millennial diet and it said diet day one. I have removed all the bad food from my house. It was delicious. So I'm excited to ask you all the pressing questions that my listeners sent about gut health so that we can all be as clued in as possible. And then at the end, I'm going to give some updates from the things, the changes I made from talking to you last time. So I'm super excited, even just about all the little things I've implemented along the way since our last conversation. So I have a lot of questions. I'm going to talk real fast. What are some common misconceptions around things people think that they do that's good for their guts, but actually isn't good for their guts? Yeah, so there's kind of a handful of things here for sure. And and gut is something that I really have quite a strong practice focus on. It's something that I'm really, really good at treating. And so it's something that I see all the time in patients. And there are definitely a few things that make this list. And so one really important thing that even, even medical doctors are jumping on board with these days, but not all of them. One example is not supporting your body after you've taken antibiotics. So I'm definitely a believer that there is a time and a place for a lot of what conventional medicine has to offer. It's not us versus them, it's us and them. And so for me, I think it's really important that anytime I have a patient who's had antibiotics, no matter what the the reason was that, that was for, um, it's really important that we get them on some probiotics because the antibiotics are not only killing the bad guys, they're also killing some of our good guys too that are really important for our health and well-being. Okay. The other thing that I see a lot is that people sort of get stuck taking things. And so whether that's probiotics or whether that's Tums or Pepto-Bismol or those kinds of things, there's this misconception, you know, it's, it's even with PPIs or proton pump inhibitors or heartburn medications or those kinds of things, but it's this misconception that we can continue to band-aid things and that's good and I'm done and that's it. And I think the really important piece around that is, is especially as naturopathic doctors, we're always trying to figure out the root cause of why things aren't feeling well and really getting those mm-hmm. dealt with so that we're not having to do supplements on a regular basis. So I definitely have patients who come in and they say, you know, I've been on probiotics for so long, but I don't feel well if I stop taking them. And I know right away that 
something else is going on in the gut that requires them to be taking a supplemental probiotic versus having that nicely supported through food-based measures. Like, could you give an example Another, for what, what they might have wrong in that instance? Yeah. So a really common thing that we see can be sort of, there's, there's sort of a variety of, of gut things, but often there's some dysbiosis going on or just sort of an imbalance of gut bacteria that then means that they really need that probiotic support uh, in a higher level than would normally be expected. And so then the idea would be to to rebalance and get things sorted out so that they didn't need to be taking those probiotics all the time. Another sort of situation where we see that is I have some patients who've got a condition called SIBO, and this is definitely, you know, we could do a, a whole episode on just SIBO by itself, but SIBO is an acronym that stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And so basically the idea is that 98 or 99% of your gut bacteria are supposed to live in your large intestine, but sometimes for a variety of reasons, things can get screwed up and too many good too many of the good guys can end up living your small intestine and can just wreak havoc. So interestingly, I see that sometimes patients are taking probiotics to help them have bowel movements because without them, they're feeling constipated. And interestingly, it's actually that it's often sort of flaring their SIBO in a way because we're just adding more fuel to the fire and that's sort of helping them go to the bathroom a little bit. So that's kind of some examples of the, the probiotics. So when you see like on the side of the container, Staphylococcus lactobacilli, I just like to say those words, but when you see those, are there like different types that you should be like, oh, I have a lot of lactobacilli, I'm going to switch or no? Yeah, generally I find that, you know, there are so many different kinds of bacteria in our gut, so many different species. And so I do think it is really important that often when we're, we're dosing patients with supplemental probiotics, not food-based probiotics, but the supplements will often switch them so that they're getting a variety of strains because there's so many more strains right. in our gut than there are strains of probiotics. And, and so I really try not to depend too heavily on one or the other, um, but that will depend a little bit kind of on the situation. It, it kind of gets deep real quick. Okay. What about our water? Is yeah. Our water so that, a problem? That's another huge one too. The, the struggle is that Chlorinated water is a really fantastic invention. It has saved, you know, millions and millions of lives, I'm sure, protecting us from infections and things like that. But the struggle is that that chlorine is also the same thing, going to be killing some of our good bacteria as well. So the idea is that, yes, we want the chlorinated water, but before we drink it, we want to not have the chlorine in our water anymore or the chloramines. And so that, that can be really affecting guts in a huge way. And so if at all possible, to be drinking filtered water. And in an ideal world, I always encourage reverse osmosis water for patients. Again, the chlorine is, is important, and I'm not, not saying we should stop chlorinating the water. It's just we want to not be drinking that particular water. It's like taking it and then just making it so it's healthier for us again, more bioavailable. Yeah. Is that right? Good for all our little good guys too. Right. So when we talk about like, just to, because you're using a lot of terms that most people probably don't know. So can you explain pre and probiotics? Because I've seen those a lot and I'm kind of like, oh, I don't get it. And I don't get how they're beneficial or how they work or that stuff. Yeah, it's actually really simple. So the idea behind the probiotics is the probiotics are the actual bacteria. They're the ones that, you know, they help support our immune system. They're responsible for detoxification support. They help produce some of them, vitamins like B12. And then the prebiotics are the things that you feed the bugs with. So it's like fiber, the soluble and insoluble fiber. So it's the prebiotics are just what we're feeding the probiotics with. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I didn't know that because I bought a powdered prebiotic recently and it has lots of um, fermented cabbage and like different things in it to add to our smoothies. And yeah. so that was something that I was interested in as how that works. So I didn't understand that. Okay. To kind of talk about what's considered ideal for digestion. First, I want to, I want to keep bringing up a certain topic. So something that you already said is that there are so many people trying to just kind of, as you would say, this is my favorite Shannon term, band-aidy. It's a band-aidy existence. And so I know a lot of people in my life who carry on eating poorly and having like the common results of eating poorly or common outcomes, what is ideal for digestion? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing definitely to keep in mind is that 
some gas and bloating is common and normal, especially when consuming certain foods, especially if they're foods that are out of your regular diet. So if you're not normally eating a ton of beans and then you're going to go have a right. chili super full of beans, like, of course, you're going to be a little bit bloated and gassy. That's normal and that's fine. And there's no sort of pathological condition generally that we're concerned about with that. Or it would be like you, you know, putting too much of your prebiotic in your smoothie and then really feeding the gut bacteria. And then likely you're going to see a little bit of symptoms from that. Again, it's not necessarily pathological or something to worry about. Um, and this is particularly, I find we have to have this conversation a lot for people who have got crazy gut things because it's been so long that they're so sensitive right. and they're paying attention so carefully that they're like, uh, I haven't, I, things have been really good. And suddenly I got a little bit of bloating today and I'm freaking out. Cause I feel like I'm going back to square one. It's like, Nope. Like you had chili today. And so that's normal and fine. <laughs> and, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to freak you out about it, but it's definitely really interesting to hear patients try to explain away some of the symptoms that they've got and say, oh, right. you know, my mom and my sister have this and it's totally common or, oh, I've had this all my life or that's so normal. So for example, I always say this in an ideal world, you'd be having two to three bowel movements per day. Okay. Shannon, do you have two to three bowel movements per day? Yes. You do. And you eat really, really well. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. So really it's sort of the idea of you should have a bowel movement one for each meal that you're eating. So it's really common to, especially if you've got pets to watch your pets, they have a meal and then they have to go out and go right. to the bathroom. So it, it should be similar like that, but so much can screw that up. You know, there can be a variety of gut conditions, but then there's also the crazy stress that we've got going on in our lives. Right. And so it's, it's sort of multifactorial when we're looking at issues in the gut. The other thing that's not normal is heartburn or reflux or GERD that people are getting all the time. What's GERD? So it's, it's just a gastroesophageal uh, reflux disease. Oh, so it's, wow. just, it's just sort of the intensified version of heartburn. Like heartburn on steroids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then those people too, you know, the, the medical doctors, sort of what they've got in their arsenal to help with that is something that just decreases your stomach acid levels. And the problem often is not that your stomach acid levels are too high. It's that something else is going on to cause the heartburn. So SIBO is a really common cause of heartburn. Another uh, infection that's a common cause of heartburn is actually an H. pylori infection. That's a bacteria that can get into the stomach and cause things like stomach ulcers and things like that. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really important to understand that some things may be common, but they're not necessarily normal. Yeah. Um, another thing that I see a ton, especially in digestive patients is they'll say, you know what, I wake up, I feel pretty good. And by the end of the day, I feel like I'm four or five months pregnant. I'm so bloated. Ooh. Also not, and no one not, likes to be five months pregnant. It's <laughs> yeah. a really bad place um, and to then, be. And then the other thing that I hear a lot from patients is I'm so stressed out because every time I need to go out or when I'm at work, I have to know where bathroom is at all times because my stomach is sort of just that upset or just that sensitive to things. And so again, that is definitely common, but not normal. That's really interesting because I think, um, I don't know if it was like Dr. Oz, it was probably like 15 years ago, but he had a whole thing on poop and it was so interesting. And I'm always fascinated by it. And I dated a guy a long time ago that said that he was certain regularity was the key to longevity. And I totally think he's right. Absolutely. Right? Like how you're passing this stuff. But I think people need to pay attention to what's coming out of their bodies. And like, I mean, you don't need to get your face right in there, but like you need to know what's coming out of your body. And I think have just like a real awareness and not um, like a consciousness of living consciously and paying attention to those things. Because I think, yeah, like you said, so many people are like, oh, this is like almost like a family trait that we all have heartburn. Okay. But maybe something needs to be healed or corrected or Exactly. And yeah. every single visit when I'm for initial patients, and then certainly if there's gut stuff going on, I will ask, do you ever notice any blood, mucus, or undigested food in your stool? And you'd be surprised at the number of people who say, I haven't even thought to look. Right. Well, I remember you asked me that and I was like, yeah. And then I was horrified and then I got some pills from you and then it, I didn't notice that ever again. Yeah. So it's interesting how that can, can be fixed. But I know it's, I was thinking about this when we were discussing um, content for this podcast, my dad was so proud of himself that he didn't need to take Tums because he's discovered now that he can just mix baking soda in water. 
and just was like so pumped that his solutions just so easy. And I thought about it after, like when, you know, based on what we were going to talk about and I'm like, yeah, like we just accept some of this stuff as, you know, I'm going to have chocolate cake tonight and it doesn't sit really well with me. It just means I'm going to have heartburn. But like, what does that do to our bodies who are just trying to maintain, maintain homeostasis, you know, like it's awful. And then what if we could eat the chocolate cake without getting heartburn at all? Well, that would be ideal. sort of taking away the some of the limiting beliefs that people have because a lot of the things that they're suffering and struggling through are things that they shouldn't have to stop and, and can be things that they don't have to struggle through anymore which is really interesting to think about that as a whole so yeah so that's interesting um jonathan could not believe we were supposed to poop two or three times a day i'm thrilled if i do um and yeah the more i the more green smoothies I have. I mean, the more fiber you eat, it's going to happen, right? And I mean, drinking tons of water. I drink tons of water now. And so it makes a, it makes a really big difference for sure. What should some people be doing? Not some people. What should all people be doing more of? So this, I mean, I feel like same thing. I could go on and on with this one, but I think one really big important thing is, is the goal when I see patients is not to have you on supplements forever. It's to get in there, hit stuff hard, get you feeling better. And while we're doing that, we're working on kind of the lifestyle support based things. So then long-term, when we pull you off the supplements, then you can be more food-based, lifestyle-based, those kinds of things. And and something that I want to stress, and I know that it's going to be an upcoming another episode for us, but a huge, huge, huge part of digestion requires that we're calm and relaxed enough to be properly digesting our food. So if people Mm -hmm. are crazy stressed out and working while they're eating lunch and then checking emails when they're at home or, or, you know, just these crazy go, go, go days, of course, you're not going to be digesting well. And of course, you're not going to be properly absorbing your nutrients. And of course, you're not going to see those, those really normal or ideal sort of bowel everythings. So that's a really important one. I think the other really big thing too is to make sure that we're eating a ton of local food or garden grown food. There are a ton of really healthy soil microbes that I feel like we're not getting enough of. And the struggle of course is that we're such a a sterilized, sanitized society pre-COVID, never mind now. I feel like it's just sanitation on steroids, but it's really, really important that we remember that that not all bacteria and microbes are bad, that some of them, we literally, our, our lives depend on their, on their sort of function and, and how they work. And so it's really, really important that we still have access to, you know, bacteria and things. There's really interesting studies looking at kids who grew up on farms and they're just exposed oh, yeah. to that much more dirt and they have less allergies and asthma. So it's, it's things like this that sort of come out on a regular basis in studies that, you know, get back into nature, get back into the earth, you know, pick a carrot from your garden and wipe it on your pants and then eat it because all that's really good for you. That like kills me because I feel like so many moms, it's always a joke with my best friend, Heidi, because I'm like the don't wash your hands lady and she's the wash your hands lady. And I'm like, she'll put up a video on Instagram of her son picking up all these dirty rocks. And she's like, why? And I'm like, let him lick his fingers. Like they were just, we're just so, um, so opposite on that. And it's so interesting. Yeah. Because even with pets and stuff, like pets have a lot of bacteria on them. Like they lick their butts. They do. And yet kids who grow up around pets, they say have way higher, um, functioning immune systems. Right. And so, but an- those animals are bringing that bacteria into the house and then you're cuddling with them and sitting on your couch with them and watching them scoot their butts across the carpet. <laughs> right. Like you, but, but it does, it sounds, it sounds really gross to some people, but it does, you know, genuinely increase your immunity. Yeah, it's really huge. So I think getting back out, and I know that that is certainly a challenge, an extra challenge this year with lockdown and COVID and those kinds of things, but there are lots of places you can not be around people and go for walks and be outside. And that definitely includes time in the winter and you have to bundle and dress properly. It's like, it's like anything, you know, when you, you're, it's too hot out, you got to wear your, your hat right. and, you know, your sunscreen and that kind of stuff. And it's the same thing with the cold. It's really important to keep that up throughout the winter as well. And good for, good for so much. I would just like to remind you that I think you have snow today. Do you have snow? We do have snow, but you know what? It was a lovely, lovely fall. And we, we finally just picked the, the last few things out of our garden just a few days ago. So I sort of am trying to count my blessings and not ready. bitter that we're still living here and not there. So stop just, rubbing it in. Just like yeah. to remind you something to keep in mind. Um, 
What about coffee? Like- oh my God. Okay. So coffee, I, I'm really moderate when it comes to a lot of things. So I'm not one of those naturopathic doctors who's like, everybody should be off coffee or nobody should be eating gluten. That's not me. So know that you're safe. I'm not going to take your coffee away from you. Do you drink coffee? Yes. Okay. With a few exceptions. So people who have crazy bad anxiety and coffee makes it worse, we're going to pull your coffee. People who are um, not drinking enough water, we're not getting enough other fluids into them. Because the thing is, coffee is a diuretic. So that means it makes you pee more. So it's sort of like alcohol and that it's dehydrating for you. So if you're going to be drinking coffee, you need to be drinking a ton more water. The other thing that's hugely important to me, and again, it's this root cause resolution of things, is if you're having to have more than two cups of coffee per day, because you feel like it's the only thing that keeps your life going, like we have to sort other things out because that's not, that's not right. There's better things we can use if you're exhausted or you need it for the energy boost or those kinds of things, because it, it shouldn't be, and isn't a great option for actually truly supporting and keeping the body going. I actually don't need it. Like I'm more energetic than anyone I know. I swear I'm just deciding I'm crazy. Um, but I, I love it. Like yeah. I don't need it in the afternoon. You know, I, I don't need to pick me up, but I just, and I don't have it after the morning. I have some cups in the morning and that's it, but it just makes me so happy. Even like how many cups? Two. Usually Perfect. two but then, yeah, of coffee. As long as it's not flaring anxiety, as long as you're drinking enough water afterwards, I have no trouble with people drinking coffee. You just have to watch, you know, what are you putting in it? Is, mm. there, a ton of cream? Is there a ton of sugar? Like those kinds of things. Is that, hitting some other things that are, you know, your feel good. Yeah. Um, making some of your neurotransmitters fire a little bit extra, be created. Um, but, but otherwise, yeah, I'm not concerned with, with that at all. I do have, um, some friends. Um, I'm going to call out Teresa because Teresa puts like, I don't know, a quarter cup of international delight in her coffee every day. And it's her vice. Like, otherwise she's the, this is my assistant manager. Otherwise she's like the healthiest person you've ever met. Um, but I would definitely think, people who love that need to figure out a different fix, like need to find something they love. I love coconut sugar and it's a low glycemic index. So I think years ago I was putting sugar in my coffee and I just used like not even a teaspoon in a mug, but, um, I was putting regular sugar in and that for some reason was making me really, um, I don't know. It was, it was almost creating a crash after, but then when I switched to coconut sugar, I didn't have that. So I just have coconut sugar in half and half. Um, but yeah, I know that that stuff that is just full of like plastic and chemicals is so harmful. Is that Teresa who knew how Siller grows? Yeah. She's the one who knows. She's amazing. Start start taking away. There you go. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She's going to love that. That's awesome. So yeah. So I definitely, um, I think that's good. I'm happy that I'm doing the right thing with my two cups of coffee. Um, yeah, what, I think that's, that's really what it's all about though, is, you know, if, if she wants to find things, there are a ton of other sort of healthier options, depending on how sort of granola Island girl she's feeling, she could experiment with trying to make some stuff from home that we can totally. just, you know, maybe it's not the best right now, but it's better than what she's doing. That's sort of the, the route to, to strive for, for sure. She's totally going to wish she was on here so she could make fun of my vices, Um, but she's not. So moving on, um, what should people be doing less of? Yeah. And so I sort of already alluded to this a little bit, but I think something that's really important is that we're not working to sterilize our lives. So even with COVID, COVID only needs soap and water and that denatures the, the, the virus itself. So you don't need to bleach wipe everything. And so I think that's particularly important for just all of the, again, the the good guys were exposed to, of course, that's not to minimize. There are certainly, there's bad bacteria. There are important times to wash your hands. You know, if if you're touching the rocks on the beach and then you lick your hands, you know, the kid will probably be fine. But if you're, you know, opening post office doors and going to the grocery store and touching carts and stuff, good time to wash your hands, but not everything needs to be bleach. And then on the same sort of thread, I think, there has been a really big push for really quite a long time, but I just feel like people are a little bit slow to adopt and and sort of catch up on this. But it's really that if you don't need antibiotics, don't take them. And that's what's very, very clear side note of there are times when you will 100% need antibiotics and, and that's completely fine. If you need them, then you just take your probiotics afterwards for a while, and that can help rebuild and support everything. But I think our, our reliance on things, especially when, you know, there's 
likely a viral infection um, versus a bacterial infection that previously, you know, a medical doctor would just prescribe antibiotics for, and they're definitely getting way better with it, but we're just seeing so many antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria mm -hmm. that it's really, really dangerous. And so, you know, we want to reserve the, the really strong antibiotics for times that they're really, really needed and for people who really need them. And, and I think we just need to be a little bit more cognizant and a little bit more careful and particular with our use of them. Um, I know a lot of times people have, or all of us have gone to a medical doctor and we've been given, you know, prescriptions for antibiotics. At one point I was given such a low dose that when I went back to my regular doctor afterwards, he was like, this is so low. It's like, she was just trying to get rid of you. Like this wasn't going to kill everything. It was a child sized dose of amoxicillin. And so I think even in just having some awareness and asking good questions when we're at the doctor about, you know, what do we have? And a lot of times I think if you go to the, you know, the Medi center or whatever, they're going to give it to you like as a band-aid get rid of you, make you feel like you got something and you're gone. And a lot of times we don't need it. And so I think, you know, critically thinking and asking the doctor good questions, a lot of us don't like to go sit and wait in a waiting room and then come out with like nothing in our hand or, you know, no prescription, no sheet of paper. And yet we should be coming out with that. That's good. Yeah. Or the sheet of paper should say, go home and rest and drink plenty of fluids and don't yeah. go to work when you're sick. And, you know, that's, it's, it's such a struggle for sure. Um, it's, it can be a, a really challenging thing to deal with, of course, when you feel like you want something when you're sick, but also, you know, if, if that's the case and you want some things in your arsenal, definitely find a naturopathic doctor who's local to you because there are a ton of options to kind of support your body through colds and flus and illnesses and things like that, that can help you feel better. That can sort of be that I'm taking something to help me feel better, get you a little bit of placebo effect at the same time as you're getting some actual effect too, that then isn't making things worse like antibiotics might for some things. Right. Well, even I think about, um, you know, different times when, like, I know my kids at, when they were younger had antibiotics, I feel like too many times for my oldest son, my second one didn't have it as much. And it was mostly because I stopped going and just kind of let nature run its course with a lot of stuff. Right. And so, um, I think a lot of times, we just need to let nature run its course. But when would we know? So if you're a person like me who avoids going to the doctor because you're sure it's just going to go away on its own, what would be the signs that we probably need to go for a prescription? Um, so it will sort of depend a little bit on, on kind of what the illness is for things. But certainly if you're having a really bad case of food poisoning or like a traveler's diarrhea or like a really bad gastroenteritis or norovirus or something like that, where it's sort of coming out of both ends. You just have to be really careful about that one because dehydration can kill people and can, can get worse really quick. So especially in little kids or babies, that's really, really dangerous. And so that really needs to be watched more so than it's the dehydration that can be tr the troublemaker with that one. And then certainly if symptoms are sort of as as bad as you feel like you can cope with and manage and they're not going away so is it okay. reasonable to, you know have a sore throat for a few days and some sneezing yeah like you don't need to go to the doctor's office for that but if you know your your throat is a 10 out of 10 in pain and you can't get any fluids or food down and you're struggling to take some medications that you've got at home and things like that then it would probably be good to go to your doctor you know, whether it's naturopathic or conventional to have them check for things like strep or things like that. So it, right. it really is, um, there, there's definitely a time and a place for things. And certainly I would say the time and the place is often sooner with kids and little ones, just because they can't communicate to us. That's how bad something may or may not feel because things can get, go from bad to worse pretty quick with kids. So I would encourage, um, I would also encourage that you see if you can find a doctor who you really sort of believe in their philosophy and their opinions on things. And so it sounds like your family doctor was pretty good to be like, I would never have given you that prescription of amoxicillin. Like that's ridiculous. Totally. And to find doctors like that, who then, you know, you can feel safe going to because then they can double check the red flags for things and, and provide you with the antibiotics or medications when you need them without feeling like, you know, they're also going to be sort of patting you on the head and giving you prescriptions for things you don't need. Oh yeah, totally. Um, okay. So what is making women feel five months pregnant unless they're five months pregnant? <laughs> Other yes, than that. Five months pregnant. So there are some really common things that I see in practice. So SIBO is definitely one of them. A common sign for SIBO 
often is patients, I'll say, have you ever taken probiotics before? And they'll say, yes. And I'll say, how'd it go? And they say, not well. Things got worse. Um, it worsened my diarrhea or my constipation. My bloating was way worse at the end of that. Or same thing, it can be worse with the prebiotics too, because again, we're just feeding, feeding the fire, um, stoking the flames. And so another really common thing that I see for bloating is food sensitivities. So food sensitivities are different from food allergies and that a food sensitivity can't kill you like a food allergy potentially could, it's kind of hitting on a bit of a different part of the immune system. So with a food uh, allergy, you'd be seeing things more like, you know, hives or throat swelling or mouth itching or lips, lip swelling, like those sorts of things, dangerous really things. But when there's food sensitivities, it's more things like gas or bloating, constipation or diarrhea. Very interestingly, especially with being in Calgary, I see a ton of food sensitivities causing Chinook migraines. So even though they're oh. linked with Chinooks and people will say, yeah, sure enough, you know, I, I got a really bad migraine today and there's a Chinook that came through. Once we get those food sensitivities figured out, then their Chinook migraines will go away. So that's another really common one I see in what? practice. That's so weird. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's really interesting. But I would say 95 to 98% of Chinook migraines are food sensitivities. So for example, you would say that like if I was, if I was say gluten intolerant, but didn't know. It was like one of my, almost like a symptom of that is that when a schnook blows through, I'm going to get a migraine. But once you fix that, that could go away. Yeah. Wow. So same thing with regular migraines too. So we see that quite a bit. Eczema, of course, is another major hallmark of food sensitivities. So um, lots of little kids will come in, but adults too, will come in with eczema and we get that sorted out and their eczema will go away. Celiac is another thing that's really important to rule out. And just as a note, it's very, 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 like I cannot stress how important this next piece is, that if you are worried that you don't do well with gluten, it's so important that you go to your doctor and ask about celiac testing before you take gluten out of your diet, because the trouble comes then if you've been gluten-free for six months and then you're like, you know what, I really would like to know if I'm celiac. And you unfortunately then have to add gluten back in for at least a month on a pretty significant level to actually have the test be helpful. So it's really, really key and really, really important that if you, if you think you're bothered by gluten before you take it out of your diet, go get celiac tested. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I, I had a patient, you know, and, and celiac is still pretty rare, but I've seen it enough times where we did that exact thing. I'm like, you know what? It's probably just a food, bit of a sensitivity, but just to be on the safe side, go check because we know, you know, it seems like you're reacting quite strongly to it. And I had a patient just, you know, a couple months ago who that was the case and it was it's a pretty devastating diagnosis. And, and so we're also where we treat it way differently if you're celiac and have sort of the autoimmune disease to gluten as compared to just somebody who's sensitive to it. So then we have to get weird about like toasters and cutting boards and kitchen utensils right. and things like that. And soaps and shampoos and toothpaste and um, body lotions and, and all those sorts of things. And so it, it really does make a difference to know whether it's actual celiac or if it's just a sensitivity. Okay. Um, and then there's a kind of a few other things that cause bloat. Uh, the H. pylori, like I mentioned before, the, the stomach bacterial infection. Lactose intolerance is also another really common one. So the issue with lactose is that it's actually an enzyme deficiency. So it's an enzyme issue. It's not an immune system issue. So interestingly, you could be lactose intolerant, which meant you have an issue with the enzyme to break down lactose, which can cause symptoms. You could also be dairy sensitive and have a sensitivity to dairy products, or you could also have an allergy to dairy products. And so there are sort of some nuances there that, that can be helpful to figure out. And then of course, the other two kind of big ones would be IBS and which is irritable bowel syndrome or IBD, which is irritable bowel disease um, or inflammatory bowel disease, pardon me. And so those are things like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis for IBD. And then IBS often um, is it's sort of a, a bigger can of worms a little bit. Well, I have a theory, then you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, a few years ago, I was struggling. Like I was that person who had to have a bathroom nearby if I had any sort of a latte, dairy product, whatever. And for the most part, I didn't really drink 
milk at all anymore, but I would have, like, I would have a coffee like that and feel really, really sick. And like, I had to get to a bathroom immediately. So eventually I ended up cutting dairy out of my diet for, and I did intermittent fasting for three months. And then I, and then I kept dairy out of my diet for a year and now I mostly feel fine. Um, but do you think I cured that? But with what I did? Potentially for sure. I mean, it's, it's common that with, when we do food sensitivity um, work with patients that I see that we will work to figure them out. So whether that's through doing an elimination diet or through doing testing, um, there definitely is some controversy around the testing when it comes to sort of the scientific literature around it. However, I find it clinically so relevant and so helpful that I continue to do it. And so what could have been the case is that, you know, you, you could have had a bit of a dairy sensitivity, but with avoidance and then some gut healing and, you know, sort of a combination of other factors going on, it could have reduced the inflammation enough. Your immune system may have stopped producing antibodies against the dairy that potentially when you added it back in, then it was no longer an issue. So I really commonly see that. And that's kind of the, the route that we go when we, when we figure out food sensitivities for people, we'll cut them out and then we'll reintroduce them in a really specific way after we've done a bunch of gut healing and things like that. So for sure that could be the case, but I would also just caution you that you you said for the most part and so if if we were in a patient visit i would always be like okay but what does that mean because sometimes there's this low sort of chronic underlying inflammation that that can be so maybe you're not like rushing to the bathroom anymore which is fantastic but what is the half and half doing in your body and is could we have your body feeling better without it well and i think to be totally honest i never have reactions unless occasionally like for thanksgiving i put whipped cream on my pumpkin pie and I all night was like, oh, like, I don't know what I ate, but, and I didn't, I didn't have to go to the bath. I didn't have to rush to the bathroom, but I just felt like mm, not something was off. And I forgot about that because I never eat whipped cream. Right. So it just didn't really cross my mind. And then when I thought about it later, I'm like, it wouldn't be turkey. It wouldn't be great. Yeah. It wouldn't be potatoes. And so I kind of like went through it in my head. Right. But also if I have like a seafood chowder at a restaurant, like I will die. Like I swear, cause they put whipped cream in it. Right. And so I, I also work now very hard as much as I respect that my body is mostly, I would say healed from it out of respect for my body. I really try hard to like never eat ice cream, never eat some of those things. And because I just know that I don't want to, I don't, I think I'm starting to realize how much my body is working to just stay, you know, status quo. And then I don't want to throw something like that in there and really stress out my system. Like just sort of kindness it's crazy how much our bodies are dealing with, you know, we mm -hmm. talked a little bit last episode sort of about toxicants and things that we're exposed to and literally just to keep up and try to keep up with that kind of stuff and all the detox processes that are happening in our livers and kidneys and lungs and, you know, all that sort of stuff I, I think is, is so important. And I, I really ask patients this all the time that how, you know, you may feel psychologically, mentally, emotionally that you're coping okay with what's going on, but how is your body feeling? I know. Right? You have crazy hormone symptoms. Is your gut a mess? Like, are you getting headaches? Do you have joint pain? Are you super tired after meals? And so I think that's so important to really make sure we're regularly checking in with ourselves to be like, how did I feel after that pumpkin pie and whipped cream? Right. And, and so totally. like old star good for you for, for noticing that in your body. Cause I think there are definitely some times where, you know, I'm, I'm definitely gluten and dairy sensitive and will I eat it sometimes? Yeah. And do I know that it's going to bug me? Yeah. But, but, you know, we get to be adults here and not everything has to be a hundred percent all the time, but just, it's really important to, to know and recognize and figure out kind of what that's going to mean for your body and, and then make the decision about whether or not it's going to be worth it. Totally. I think too, I have um, some friends that binge really hard um, just on food. Like they eat, eat keto all the time, but then they'll take like 10 days and they'll go on holidays and they'll just binge like crazy. And I just, I do feel like that is so hard on your body. And when you think of your body, like someone that you love, that you want to like, I don't know, I, it, something's changing in my head or shifting in my head where I'm like, I just, I see, I know some people that have, you know, um, different autoimmune diseases, different things happening. And I'm like, like that could be me. And I just, I don't know what causes a lot of those things. Well, like, I guess a lot of these things cause those things, but you know, I just, I'm in this thing right now where I'm like, I just want to love my body. I want to like take such good care of it and give it the right things. Cause I just realize how much it's just working hard to 
you know, it wants to stay on one level. It doesn't want me to eat 4,000 calories for lunch and then decide I'm not eating for the next two days because now I'm fasting. Like, I just feel like all those things are so hard. Your body's like, what is even happening? So that's just something I've been really thinking about on my own a lot. Yeah. And as a pro tip side note for people who are doing keto, um, it's, it's, there's really interesting, they're, they're rat studies or mice studies, but they're looking at just how quickly a high fat diet can negatively impact your probiotics in your gut. And it's literally within a few days. So all of my patients who are doing keto are required to be on a probiotic for the entire duration that they're doing keto. Ooh, I will tell my friends that that's very good. Well, they're obviously listening. So you know who you are. You're listening. Okay. So I want to talk about irritable bowel syndrome because I had that as a little girl and I thought it was like caused by worry and stress. And I was really, um, in a stage like where I, I don't know if someone's family died on like Dateline or I don't know what it was, but I was like convinced my family was going to die or something bad was going to happen. And I would like sit up at night worrying and looking out the window, which is just so not me that it's hard to even imagine that. But my guts would cramp like something I could not explain. And I would have to miss school. I, and like, it would, it would come and go. Is that brought on by stress or is that, was that maybe something I was like reacting to in my life? Do you know? Of course I know. Of course so you know. What I would say about <laughs> that is that, um, I actually wrote a, a blog post recently all about this. And so really it's all about what stress is doing in our bodies. And so for everybody, it's really different. And so Sometimes I'll get patients who come in, they're crazy stressed out and they've got crazy joint pain, or sometimes they're crazy stressed out. And then sort of like you, the little kid, you'll have crazy gut stuff going on. Interestingly, I had some, some gut stuff as a kid too. And same thing. I'm, I'm quite certain it was more of an anxiety stress sort of picture versus gut stuff. However, for you at this stage, now knowing that you were definitely dairy sensitive at, at parts in your life. And, you know, are we looking at lactose intolerance as well? It's like, for sure, there, there could have been some food sensitivities in there too. The other sort of interesting thing that I always want to note is that IBS or, or irritable bowel syndrome, I feel like is a really, it's a, a great definition, but it's not really a great diagnosis. And so IBS sort of just basically says, do you have this symptom and this symptom and this symptom? If you do, then you've got this syndrome. But like, what does that tell us? Like nothing. You just right. checked off some boxes to say you've got this syndrome. And so for us as naturopathic doctors, we're like, okay, but what is the root cause of why you have the symptoms in the syndrome? And so really, really commonly, it's a really high percentage of something like almost 70% of patients who um, were diagnosed with IBS when they look for it actually have something like SIBO and food sensitivities is hugely in there as well. And so again, it's, it's, we want to figure out the root cause of why the symptoms are there and just deal with them. So for little, little Jody, it, it could have been definitely a combination of those things. I know that as a, a family, I feel like we've got some ancestral worry genes that are pretty high pretty deep, deeply embedded in that. And so it's, uh, it's something that I think is another huge piece of the puzzle too. Yeah. That's glad we can share that. (laughs) Um, okay. So what are some other common symptoms you see in the body that are linked, like that we might have come up that we should be aware that the, the, the root cause definitely could be starting in our guts. Totally. So it's fatigue after meals is such a huge one. If you're sort of getting that, like, of course, if you're eating, you know, a super carby, you're having a huge bowl of pasta, right. well, that's fairly reasonable. Or, you know, you're having a bowl of pineapple or something like that, that, you know, your sh- blood sugar levels are going to go up and then they're going to crash. And so is that reasonable sort of, but that shouldn't be happening with sort of regular meals that have got some fat and protein that should be helping to manage and stabilize blood sugar levels. So fatigue is a really big common one. And, and for me, that's a huge Um, gluten symptom for me that I get. If I have too much gluten, I'll get really, really tired and exhausted in a weird way that isn't normal for my body. So another really common symptom that we see in the body that can actually be a huge sign of gut issues is acne. So acne often I find isn't just one thing or the other. It's often a combination of things, but so, so, so commonly when people have acne issues, gut is a huge piece that we want to make sure is really optimized. Two things that I talked about previously are eczema and migraine headaches. So those are obviously things that you wouldn't necessarily think to link with your gut that can be hugely gut related. And like I said, I've had really good success treating both of those things, figuring out and looking at gut and getting that sorted out. 
weight gain. Weight gain is another huge one. So a lot of patients will come in and say, you know, I, I eat really healthy. I'm exercising pretty good. You know, my gut doesn't feel great and I, I can't get this weight off or I keep gaining weight despite doing all these good things. So often when there's food sensitivities or SIBO or, you know, things like that, the body is feeling really inflamed and irritated and it'll often store kind of that like inflammatory water weight. And so that can be a really huge piece to figuring out some weight gain, especially if things aren't super obvious for people. You know, if you're eating fast food five times a week, like I have a decent mm. idea of why you're struggling with weight gain, but that's hugely not always the case. Um, and then joint pain is another really big common one that I see with gut stuff. And it is really hugely important too when we're looking at autoimmune joint stuff so whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or you know other things like ankylosing spondylitis or those sorts of things it's hugely hugely linked to what's going on in the gut so it's really really important that we kind of look and, and sort that stuff out too what did you just say ankylo sounded like a dinosaur name what did you just yeah say? ankylosing spondylitis it's it's this really interesting condition <laughs> where the, the body gets confused and starts to attack the, the joints in the bones, joints oh. around the bones. And so that, that's what you'll often see. Um, they, they call it sort of um, the common term for it is bamboo spine because people's spines, the, the joints will all fuse together. And so they have very limited motion. And that's hugely, hugely gut related with the sort of the beginning of the autoimmune disease. Oh, that sounds awful. But I do like that. I'm going to have to try and learn that so I can say it. Um, Okay. So something that I I think about um, a lot is that whole desire to feel your best. And I have this so, so, so strongly. And now I'm paying really close attention to how all of these things impact me, like certain foods and that sort of thing. And, um, but I think it stems, like it stems from having a mom who has a lot of chronic pain. And I just see that... um, a lot of, a lot of the ways that she's lived, I think has, has, has changed, you know, the things we eat, all that stuff matters. And I feel like we have so much awareness now, um, you know, as to the things we can do to feel our best. And so, but I don't know if you've heard of the Enneagram. Have you heard of the Enneagram? No. So it's, it's like a really ancient personality test. Like I feel like it's super, super, super old, but a lot of my listeners will probably know what it is. And so I am an Enneagram seven and my biggest like interior, like internal goal is to avoid pain. And so I think that the reason I'm so proactive is literally that I just don't want to live a life of pain, you know, and as I keep brainstorming some of these things or reading books or having conversations with you or whatever, it just, it makes me want to change the things in my life that need changing because I just want to give my life the best, um, chance. You know what I mean? Of course. And I think this is hugely so important, sort of like I, like I mentioned a few minutes ago with sort of the ancestral stuff and definitely seeing, you know, mm-hmm. the people who raised us and, and what that all sort of looks like. And I think it has a really huge and lasting impact on us. And, and we definitely sort of live our lives around that. I definitely feel like that's a huge reason why I do a lot of the gardening and getting so into the food preservation and all that kind of stuff and learning about foraging and, you know, and encouraging Brendan to learn more about hunting and all that kind of stuff is because I, I want to ensure that, that we have enough food to survive. Yeah. Like, yes, gardening is a really nice, super fun hobby and it's beautiful and like, it's delicious, but, but like on a really deep level, it's, it's so that I can provide and so that I don't starve to death which I yeah. think is really uh, pretty deep, but I think it's so important that we sort of look at these things because they, they alone, like, you know, the, having your biggest goal to be to avoid pain um, and, and sort of literally chasing that can also have impacts on, on how we're feeling. So I know with mine, with COVID, of course, with mine, it certainly brought out a ton of anxiety for me. And so then for people, especially people who are more, sort of gut sensitive to things, then their guts are suddenly a mess. So I saw a ton of, especially when COVID started, people coming in with a new symptom of heartburn that they'd never, ever had in their lives before. Oh, weird. I think, I think it's so important to really dig and understand sort of what's going in our mind and what's going in our bodies and how that's all connected and what we're striving for and, and kind of how that's all linked. Because I, I think that especially our generation and especially generations after us, I think we're really chasing 
we're chasing goals that are so much bigger and so much broader and so much kind of deeper. And I feel like we're, we're not okay settling with the idea that sort of our, our parents and grandparents did where it's like you work a job and you work it for 50 years and you, it doesn't matter if you're miserable, like keep doing your job because you have to provide for your family where we're very much like that job is killing me. And so I'm going to switch and do something else that, that isn't killing my soul and spirit every time I step into the office. Yeah. You're totally right. I don't know. I think that just really resonates with me. And I think so often like these life, these things that happen in life, like COVID or whatever, they're just sort of wake up calls. One of my biggest things is since this is, this pandemic has happened is I want to be the healthiest I've ever been. I just, I don't want to be at risk for anything, but I, and I also for anything. No, I also I also don't like feeling, um, I don't want to say not that I, like I can control cause you can't control 95% of stuff, but I think I know I can control what I do and how I care for my body. And so I think that empowers me to know like, okay, I can decide to give up diet Coke. I can make other choices in my life that are going to make me profoundly healthier than if I just carried on and kept, you know, hoping for a band-aidy solution down the road when now I've kind of hit, you know, a, a bad place or a bump in the road or whatever. So totally. And I think that though, it's so important that we are really gentle with ourselves mm-hmm. through the transition and watching that because we can kind of go sort of the other route where then it becomes more like orthorexia where it's the idea that we're working so hard to be as healthy as we can be, that we're actually becoming unhealthy. And so I think that I have to coach patients through this so much, whether it's about eating, you know, expanding their eating a little bit beyond maybe the, the really, really strict diet that they put themselves on or how much exercise they're doing and how hard they're pushing right. themselves or, you know, how little sleep they're getting. Or um, I, I, I just think it's, it's so it's so, so important that we're so, oh, and rest. Rest Mm -hmm. is such a big, important one. So many patients have to be talked into the idea that they shouldn't feel guilty about taking a rest. Right. So I always want to encourage that, that resting is not being lazy. You're literally taking a rest so that your body can catch up. And so it's, it's also, you know, while you're, like I mentioned in those transition phases of working to get healthier, that if you have a diet Coke tomorrow, it doesn't mean you've ruined all your progress. Right. And so it's not like adding stress and, and guilt and feeling really awful. You know, if, if we slip up or, or, you know, we don't sort of hit our goal or those sorts of things. And I I think that we, we just need to be a bit more gentle with ourselves through that process. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go through a few of my favorite gut things. You can tell me if they're good or bad. If you think, because I I think I make up that they're really good for me. So I like to, um, once every week or two, try and find a large roasting bird and we roast it. And then the next day for like 36 hours, I think I make bone broth. So that's one of the things I like to do. Is that good or bad? Two things with that. Um, the first thing is that for, for birds generally, you probably don't need to do that long. I would say that long would be more for, um, like red meat things like beef or, or, lamb or things like that. Um, the other thing is it's really important to get super, super good sourcing of that then because right. you're pulling nutrients and other things out of the bones and organs. If you're using them in stock, you really want to make sure that it's as clean as you can get it. Unfortunately, things aren't going to be hundred percent clean because even, you know, organic things can be contaminated with stuff. And so um, I really love the idea of bone broth. It's full of collagen. It's nice and warm. It's adding lots of mineral, minerals and nutrients. So as happy and healthy as the animal can be, then that's better for you. But yep, gets a thumbs up on my list for sure. Perfect. Kombucha. What are your thoughts? Yes, I really like kombucha. I really like kefir, which would be similar to that. Or um, for a, that was my a, next one. Okay, yeah. So so we'll we'll double team these ones. For you, maybe less so if it's going to be a milk kefir. I'd prefer more of a water kefir, which is sort of a gentler form of kombucha generally. Um, you just have to watch. This is another really common thing for SIBO patients. If kombucha makes you way worse or gets you super bloated, you might want to talk to a naturopathic doctor about looking for SIBO 
it's a really, really common thing I see for patients. If it's something that you haven't had before, I would also encourage you to start really slow because again, it's just, it's, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but you know, too much of even good things can be not so good. So just drink it slow, but overall, I love it. I think food-based probiotics are the way to go long-term. So for everyone who has no idea what you just said, because they were also calling it kefir. Oh, yeah. I call it kefir. And then I don't know what I was listening to recently. And they said, what did you say? Kefir? 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 I used to, I used to make that on my counter. My sister had gotten the starter for it or something. And like 12 years ago, whatever we were making our own. Um, but I'm not familiar with a water-based one. So I feel like I should talk to you about that. My kombucha is just a mother or SCOBY or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I'm not, so I'll need to get more information from you about that, but kombucha gets a thumbs up. Yep, totally. It's super, it's super simple. It's just their, their grains, um, for the, the kefir rather than, than sort of the Scooby for the kombucha. It's just a little different, but same idea. Okay, cool. Cabbage salad. Why would that be a no-go? Well, (laughs) just realized that that sounds really stupid. Are you against vegetables? No. Okay. So yeah, cabbage salad, I guess that would never be a no-go. I think my question is, is cabbage a probiotic for your guts? Um, not, not really. Um, Uh, you could ferment it like we did with ours and make sauerkraut and then it would be a probiotic for your gut. But otherwise the, the brassicas in general, the cabbage, the, the kale, the Brussels sprouts, those sorts of things have all got a ton of really good nutrients in it that are also really good for your liver. So those all definitely get a thumbs up for me. And then if you can make your own sauerkraut at home, that's fantastic. You just have to keep in mind with sauerkraut that there is a difference between live sauerkraut that you would find and buy that would be in the refrigerator section of your grocery store versus like a a canned sort of more pickled kind of sauerkraut, which then wouldn't necessarily have the good fermented stuff in it because it's all dead because it's been canned. Oh, that's interesting. I bought the live stuff. I bought things a couple times that I like ended up throwing out because I was so creeped out by it. I bought the live sauerkraut at Costco and then I just was like, I don't know what to eat this on. And I threw it all out, which is like such a waste. And so good with like little Buddha bowls and so good on salads or if you're going to have it as a little side. I mean, obviously the typical one is to have it with like a sausage or a smoky or something like that. Right. But, but I threw it out like, like a really unresourceful loser. I threw it out. I also threw out a whole thing of tofu. I just was like, I bought this thinking I could try it, but I was so creeped out. So there you go. Okay. These are the things that I've changed since we talked last that I'm very proud of. So our last conversation um, really impacted me. I immediately went around the house looking at the ingredient list on all of my soaps, detergents, um, for the dishwasher, detergents for our clothes, everything. And um, I'm going to have to get, I just realized I didn't write the brand down, but I did change out my dish soap in the kitchen. And what was interesting was I had the Ecos brand from Costco, but it still had Parfum in it. So I found one at Superstore that looks really similar, but it's not called Ecos. And it was same price and everything, but it definitely was um, scented with essential oil. So I was really excited about that. I switched out my laundry soap. The Nature Clean seems to be a really, really good brand that doesn't have unnecessary perfumes and fragrances. I bought foam soap bottles off Amazon and switched out all our hand soaps. And I mixed nature clean hand soap um, with essential oils. And I love it. I totally love it. So all of our bathrooms now have a really healthy foam soap with essential oils. I listened to the audible book um, by Darren Oleen, the superfood book. And it like changed my life. I swear. I'm so excited about it. And that just kind of I wanted to read it even more after, or listen to it even more after our last conversation. Um, I started eating multiple leafy greens a day and I stopped focusing on protein and focusing more on vitality and the micronutrients in the food that I eat. So for breakfast, I have a green smoothie now that doesn't have a ton of added protein. It's just lots of greens, coconut water, avocado. It's super good for you. And then I have a little side of pistachios with it, which I don't probably totally need, but it makes me really happy. And haven't had a diet Coke in six days. Amazing. Extra amazing. Extra amazing. Cause that's like my favorite vice. I stopped using perfume completely. Haven't used it probably since we talked. 
switched exclusively to essential oils. I made a mix. I have a roller ball thing for my neck, but I also made one where I put a bunch of drops into just a little um, glass jar of water and I spray it all over my clothes and my staff say that I smell really spicy. So yeah, those are the things that I've changed since we talked last, just because of the inspiration that you've given and the hope that I still have control and can make a lot of um, radical changes in my life, my house and my family. So thank you for that, Shannon. You're very welcome. I'm very proud of you. Three gold stars for sure. Thank you. That's so many more than Teresa has now. She has zero. I'll have to tell her she's lost some stars. This was awesome. Thanks so much. Next time, what are we talking about? Stress. 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 Something else for you to think about because I know you think I'm type A. I talked to a few different people. I've taken a survey of people and they say, if you could see me in my everyday life, I'm not type A, but I'm just really hyper. Something yeah, to think about. That we'll we'll discuss that. We'll get into that. I'll I'll explain <laughs> thinking behind that for sure. I would encourage you to have quiz me. Bring me a list of questions that you will decide based on the questions whether or not you think I'm type A. Oh no, I've already decided. So <laughs> Shannon, you're a doctor. You're supposed to do research. Research me. Find out if I'm type A or not. Okay. I've done it. It's done. <laughs> done it it's finished okay i love you cousin thanks for this fantastic conversation you're very welcome Well, that was so much fun. Thanks so much for being here. Please click subscribe, rate and review this podcast, share it with everyone you know, and I will be back here next week with more stories, more courage, more vulnerability, and just a little more Jody to brighten your day. 